once more with podcast. Hello! Hello. <laughs> Hi! It's always so weird to start. It is yeah. always so weird. I, I do a bit of a countdown before I press the record button, but it, there's always that moment of, are we there? Hello? <laughs> like, who's going to say hi first? <laughs> Try and say it at the same time. It doesn't always work out like that, but it's No, it's, it doesn't. Don't. But <laughs> anyway, I'm Taki, and do you want to know something, Athena? Yes. Oh, hello. Do you want to know what I did right before we started podcasting? <laughs> do I want to know? I... <laughs> what did it sound like I was doing something dirty? <laughs> I was watching Welcome to the Hellmouth and The Harvest. Really? Buffy, uh, 20 years old episode, and I was logged into Skype because we were going to podcast, and then uh, one of my ex-boyfriends popped up on Skype, and he was like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, shush, I'm watching Buffy. (laughs) And he was like, whoa, well, I'm having flashbacks. (laughs) Nothing has changed. So, were you watching Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest in preparation for the podcast, or was it just on and you just happened to be watching? No, I just kind of put it on, because uh, I was cooking dinner and stuff, and then uh, I knew we were going to do this 20th anniversary podcast, and personally, I really love Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest. They are two of my favorite episodes, and so I thought, wouldn't it be fun to watch to watch them, because, you know, they are literally 20 years old. <laughs> so crazy. So I thought it would be fun to kind of just watch the first ones and be like, does this still hold up? Well, I have a little confession because before we recorded the podcast, I was actually <laughs> watching the Sci-Fi Channel here in the UK. And at the moment, they are, they've basically got a Buffy marathon going on for the 20th anniversary. Oh, so... Whilst I wasn't watching Welcome to the Hellmouth or The Harvest, I was actually also watching an episode of Buffy. Uh, it was it was actually two to go, <laughs> because that was the episode that was playing at the time, uh, which is from season six. Um, season six, right, yeah. Yeah, but I was very much enjoying watching my season six episode of Buffy. But yeah, that, that one's not quite 20 years old. It'll be 20 years old in like six years. Yeah, um, uh, it was fun to watch the first episode, though, because, I mean, I, it's not like it's the first time I rewatched that one. I've watched that several times, but now just keeping it in mind, I'm like, oh, my God, they're so adorable. <laughs> All of them are so cute, and you just want to pinch their 20 years younger cheeks and go like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Sanders is super cute, and, like, Willow is utterly adorable. They're all so young. So cute. I mean, it's just, yeah. Although I did have, I mean, noticeably, I don't think I thought about it that much then, but I'm like, clearly, Chris McCarpenter is older than all the rest of them. (laughs) Yeah, I think think we've already established on the podcast that I think, because when we were discussing Cordelia several episodes ago, I think we established that she was sort of mid to late 20s. I think she was 26 when she got the role. Yeah. Well, okay, mid-ish 20s. But as we said back then, she looks fab. (laughs) I mean, she looks fabulous now, too. I mean, what's her secret? I want to (laughs) know. I think we all want to know. 
I'm pretty sure that James Marsters and Chris McCarpenter both gather together once a month under a full moon and sacrifice a virgin or something. Yeah. I, I mean, I always assumed it was like they had like a fountain of youth in their garden or something and they could just... Okay, you're going for the the sweet magic route, where it's unlike, (laughs) sacrifice! Sacrifice those virgins, goddammit! No, I I like to think that it was wholly innocent. They just happened to have the the Holy Grail or something, and they take a sip and... I'm more season six, and you're like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, basically. Um... (laughs) I'm glad we published that. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been twenty years. Um, twenty years. Uh, it's still it's it's still completely kind of bizarre and and ridiculous, really. That this is a show that's twenty years old and we're still talking about it and we still love it so much. And I mean, it's not just that we're talking about it. It's like young people are still finding this show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe not in, like, millions, but obviously the show still has a cultural impact, uh, which is significant. Even though, it's, you know, some stuff might be dated, the storytelling still holds up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, there are some, you know, pop culture references that don't quite work. We've discussed them a few times on this podcast. I think you mentioned um, James Spader. <laughs> and also, like the first season, or I mean, now I just rewatched the um, first episode, but I mean, like, Angel wears a, a lot of velvet. Although, going to H&M now, I've seen that velvet is back, so <laughs> maybe young people don't notice that, but. Is velvet back? But I, yeah. Are you I, sure that's not just a Sweden thing? Well, H&M is global, baby, so watch out. Come to you. I've seen tons of people in velvet pants, and trust me, nobody wanted velvet pants to come back. That is not flattering. Well, clearly, fashion-wise, the UK is leagues behind Sweden, because I don't think I've seen velvet in any stores yet. Uh, Maybe maybe we'll get it in a couple of years. In the last H&M catalog I got, it was like... Velvet shirt, velvet pants, and those kind of slinky, satiny dresses that, like, Buffy wears a few times even, all back. So, um, yeah, maybe new viewers are like, Buffy's so hip. <laughs> cool. You have such a dope uh, wardrobe, and yes, I just said dope because <laughs> I'm, like, 32. I have no idea what the cool kids say. <laughs> well, clearly they say dope because that's what you just said. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> So basically what we're saying is is that all of the fashions from the 90s are actually coming back. Which so we really can just go through you. our wardrobes from back then, get out all of our old clothes and just wear them, and people will think that we've just gone to H&M and bought new stuff. Yeah. But that kind of tells you how old the show is, because it's come back round, you know? Yeah. Oh, I used to love Buffy's jackets. She had so many cute jackets. I used to love... And I know this sounds a bit, like, strange, but Willow used to wear, you know, those really bright, colourful, like, jumpers, like, sweaters and skirts, like, that were all, like, mismatched. And that that was pretty much me. Um, In the 90s, I was kind of a mix of Willow 
and Clarissa from Clarissa Explains It All. <laughs> oh, that sounds delightful. <laughs> I know. I remember I went to a friend's birthday party and I just watched an episode of um, Clarissa <laughs> and she was wearing, it's, it was a terrible, terrible outfit choice thinking back, but she was wearing like a t-shirt with a waistcoat over it and <laughs> leggings and I think like trainers, like sneakers. And I thought, oh my, that's like an oversized waistcoat. And I, <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, that is the outfit I'm going to wear to my friend's party. Bearing in mind, I'd only known this friend for a little while. I wasn't really very close with her. She'd just invited, I think it was a pity invite, basically, to her party. And or everyone was dressed immaculately in their dresses, and I turned up in my Clarissa outfit. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of didn't go down very well. I mean, honestly, I pretty much dressed like a cross between also a Melissa Joan Hart character, Sabrina, and <laughs> Buffy. Very much Sabrina and Buffy mix, because I had a lot of short skirts with high boots, but I also had a lot of just jeans and also a lot of velvet. <laughs> Horribly. Did, did you go for the bootcut jean or the straightcut jean? The bootcut. Yes, the bootcut jean was the go-to jean for the 90s girl, definitely. Yes. I did not like the straight cut, and I actually had, because uh, I got a pair of jeans in my like junior year of high school, and I just got rid of them last year because they were broken beyond repair. <laughs> and I was so sad because I loved those jeans yeah. for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Since, um, just out of interest, did, did this turn into the fashion podcast? <laughs> Yes, it did. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to What's More with Fashion. Woo! <laughs> From the 90s, special 90s edition. I actually could have a podcast just talking about the fashion because there's a lot of horrible clothes. <laughs> there's some nice stuff in there, too, but there's, <clears throat> there's a lot of questionable outfits. Yeah, I, I, I'll admit, since the... 20th anniversary there's obviously been a lot of sites popping up a lot of articles just like celebrating the 20th anniversary and loads of people are talking about it online and like I said TV channels are showing Buffy marathons and stuff like that but I noticed a couple of weeks ago that there was a an online store I can't remember the name of it for the life of me it's really annoying but I think they were selling Buffy's like a an imitation of Buffy's red leather jacket the the long Red leather jacket. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I'd really like that red leather jacket. But can I find it anywhere? No. Cannot find it anywhere. I have no idea what the website was called, who was selling it, but I can't find it. And it's really winding me up. I have (laughs) always wanted (laughs) I have always wanted and will still always want that golden dress Buffy wears in Never Kill a Boy in the First Date and in the season one promos. And objectively, I look at it and I go like, this is kind of a horrible dress, but I have this weird just love for that dress. I don't know why. (laughs) I'm such a mystery even to myself. (laughs) I always wanted the the dress that she wears in Prophecy Girl. It reminded me very much of sort of an 18th century gown that a, a lady might wear to a ball or something yeah, like something that. you and might have seen on uh, like Emma or something yes. else in Austin. <laughs> in my head, I was thinking Pride and Prejudice, and I was thinking the a 1995 
Colin Firth and Jennifer Ellie version. Oh, Ellie? No, I don't know. But it's one of my absolute favourites. I love it. I've watched it so many times. But oh, me too. Always <laughs> fantasised a little bit about being, like, obviously not being in 18th century England because women were treated abysmally, but just like wearing those beautiful kind of long floor-length gowns and... Um, the prophecy girl dress kind of reminded me a little bit of that, so... A little bit. Speaking of watching something a lot, now when I was watching Welcome to the Hellmouth, I was like, I can pretty much recite every piece of dialogue before the characters say it. I might have watched this a lot. <laughs> well, are we going to have to test this theory? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Let's just have me recite Welcome to the Hellmouth, and I'll do voices. <laughs> You've got to do different voices with different characters. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> Let, let's pinhole that and do that episode around the time when you're supposed to sing the entire Once More Repeal uh, soundtrack. Bring so. this up every month. And every month. <laughs> that's so that everybody knows. my heart that you'll forget. You never do. That everybody knows that I will never forget and this will happen. <laughs> The thing is, is you know I would love to do it as well. <laughs> but I really don't think people want to hear it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh, I would honestly love to do it because I have the CD in my car and occasionally when I'm finding the UK radio, whichever station happens to be on I'm in my car at that point, a little bit dull, I'll reach over, get my CD, pop it in, and I just belt it out at the top of my lungs and... And, you know, I've already told you, I am there for you. I will sing the willow part. <laughs> I will do that for you. Yeah, but I can't do all of the other parts on my own, because there's quite a lot that people that sing together. So I would need you to will, We'll just layer it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You've got an answer for everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Anyway, let's move on, because we're not talking about me singing. We're talking about the 20th anniversary. <laughs> so. And what a greater way to celebrate. But, yeah, we have been having a uh, 20th anniversary extravaganza on the Buffy boards, you might say. Yeah, we've had we've pretty much everything going on, haven't we? Yeah, we've had a lot of, you know, like different threads. Like, you had the flashback threads to what was going on in the world back then, and... I mean, just a lot of, like, quizzes and yeah. contests and just a lot of fun stuff to... Uh, People could post their top 20s. There's, like, different categories. We had... Um, and, of course... No, I was going to say, of course, you had the um, um, episode... What was it called? I'm sorry. The ranking of the episode. Oh, the top 144? Yes. 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 It was interesting because we obviously tallied up all of the votes. And because there's obviously a lot of episodes and... We, you know, with the best one in the world, there's not that many people to vote. So there were quite a lot of duplicate numbers, which is unfortunate, but that's just the way these things go. I think the top ten was pretty standard for, like, top ten episodes of Buffy. Yeah, but um, I think a lot of people were surprised that Prophecy Girl was as high as it was. I believe it was... It was shared number two, right? Shared number two, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so the number one episode... Would you like to reveal, even though most people know, reveal what the number one episode of Buffy was? It was... Go Fish! 
No, no, that's our favorite. I think Go Fish was one of the ones that didn't get any votes, actually. Yeah, which is more than it deserved. Yeah. Oh. It was Paul Go Fish. Poor some assembly required, etc. Sorry, sorry. Repeat what you said because I was talking over you. Say it again. It was becoming part two. Woo! No big surprise, I would say, because I mean I do feel like becoming part two. You know, especially the no friends, no hope. You know, what do we have left? The me moment where she kicks and jealous is out mm. is a very standout moment in the show, and obviously the whole. Buffy kills Angel and leaves Sunnydale. Uh, it's a very significant episode. Yeah. It, in many ways. Pin- pinnacle Buffy moment, you could say. And uh, I just kind of glanced around for a little bit of tidbits about the episode. And the score becoming actually won an Emmy Award. I did not know that. Well, I did not know that either. Something else I have never noticed while we watching, maybe you have, is that, you know, at the end when the little monster, mutant enemy monster, comes with, says, grrr, arr. He doesn't say that at the end of Becoming No, does he say, oh, I need a hug. Yeah, I was going to say, does he say, I need a tissue? But, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, that my mind went to a dirty place immediately. <laughs> sorry. Uh... <laughs> But no, oh, I need a hug. I have actually never, ever noticed that, which I feel a bit bad about. And then I was looking at Buffy Wikia, and I, I, I just had to show this because it's kind of funny because I never, I never realized or thought about this, but it does other, I think, kind of miscellaneous. When Buffy is standing in front of a locker talking to Sander in the beginning, a sheep sticker can be seen, explaining why sheep was written in Sander's room. This rich theory that Sander was somehow mysteriously connected to the word sheep in some way, so showing that it was just another band sticker. And I was like, this theory that Sander was mysteriously connected to the word sheep? Was this a theory at some point? <laughs> Someone hasn't just edited that wiki page to something that they want to put on that isn't true. <laughs> I don't even like, know what they're talking about. No, I was like, what theory would that be? That <laughs> he was connected to the word sheep mysteriously. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Um, uh, I mean, does, so, yeah. does, does the name Alexander mean sheep? Or something. <laughs> I, don't I don't know, but now I dare you guys to, uh, needs to tell us. Why is that watch a... that episode and not think about Sandra and Sheep. <laughs> what is the connection between what, Sandra and yeah, Sheep? What is the connection? I don't even think, I don't even know off the top of my head what that might be. No, me. Because well, obviously it wasn't, it was just a band sticker, but I, I just thought it was funny that at some point that would have been a theory. That, yeah. Yeah. Nah, I think it's just oh. a sticker. <laughs> my, hmm, my theory is it's a sticker. <laughs> my theory is that Sander was a farmer in the 17th century and that he was actually a watcher for No, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was just a band sticker. Anyway, back to Buffy uh, in general. Yeah. And um, now this might seem a little bit random, but I thought it was funny. 
before this to look up kind of what the original um, season rankings were. Okay. And it was kind of funny that um, the show kind of became full circle because the lowest rated seasons are season one and season seven. Season one got 3.7 average viewers in millions, and season seven got 3.9. Oh, okay. So it was uh, in a fairly big downward slope. The highest rated seasons were season two and three, mm-hmm. and four. Because season two were 5.2, season three were 5.3, and season four were 5.1. And then after that, it was like a steady decline. Um, That's really interesting, though, because from the votes that we took for the top 144, the most votes actually went to season three. Yeah, so So, that is like the strongest season in general. So, yeah, I think generally people people love season three. But, I mean, um, it's also, you know, like, this is, like, a season average, because, like, yeah. um, Innocence, the episode, actually pulled in a whopping 8.2 million viewers. That's quite it's incredible, not... really, considering and... that, because presumably these are American viewers. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I think 8 million, if you think about a show like Buffy and the network that it aired on, I mean, I suppose 8 million's quite outstanding, really. It is. And, like, Chosen got a 4.9 million viewers, which is not bad either. And especially not, uh, when you think about the WB, the show that, because uh, Buffy always placed in the top three, but it usually came behind Seventh Heaven. So, clearly, people were not watching quality programming instead. <laughs> And I can say that because I used to watch and love Seventh Heaven, okay? <laughs> well, I admit I've never seen an episode of Seventh Heaven at all, so I have no idea what it is. <laughs> you are not. It's about pretty much the guy, um, it's a father, and well, it's a Christian family. The God, it, the God, the father is a priest, and then they have like uh, five kids. Uh, it's just a meal, isn't it? Is it, uh-huh. is it as good as Days of Our Lives or Sunset Beach? Because those, I, I watch those quite a lot. <laughs> well, I would say it's better than those, because those were kind of crap. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, it's kind of like those, but really tame, because it's like an after-school special. Oh, okay. Uh, my sister and I got sucked into it when they showed, like, you know, they would show, like, a some summer and they would show it every day and you know we started watching and then you get obsessed yeah Um, oh that was a bit like me and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air we used to watch that a lot (laughs) (laughs) and I just got obsessed with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air after a little while because it was always on the telly so (laughs) exactly but yeah so that was basically the competition and it's maybe a little bit sad that some of them beat Buffy but hey Buffy was still top three we obviously wanted to talk about Buffy's 20th anniversary and... Oh, sorry, I should mention that the season six relaunching had one of the second highest rating of the series with 7.7 million viewers. So even if the rest of season six had about 4.3 million viewers, like the intro had quite a boost. And then presumably people were like... What is this series of Buffy? This is depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to watch this anymore. 
Whereas, uh, you know, my love for season six is, is well documented. So I wasn't that person because I thought season six was great. <laughs> but yeah, I understand a lot of people aren't keen. The sort of theme that we wanted for the podcast was what Buffy means to me, because we wanted to know, well, people's general feelings of, you know, what Buffy has done for them in their lives and their experiences of the show. Because the show is so groundbreaking. It's its legacy and and its and its type of storytelling. But it's the sort of show that pretty much everyone can relate to on some level. I certainly related to it on many different levels at many different periods of my life. And yeah, I, I think I think, I think we, we, let's let's talk about it. Let's talk yeah, about but once you talk about uh, legacy because that was also on like Wikipedia where I get most of my information. So everybody go sponsor Wikipedia because it's great um, <laughs> to have around. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Before Wikipedia, hey, kids, we used to have to look things up in books. That was yeah. terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's true. In the 90s, there was no Wikipedia. <laughs> and it was not fun. It was seriously horrible. And uh, anyway, cause, uh, they have this section on Buffy and it's that impact on television. And then they quote... Uh, Robert Moore from Pop Matters, and he said that TV was not art before Buffy, but it was afterwards, and suggested that it was responsible for repopularizing long story arcs on primetime television. And I thought that was really interesting, because, you know, for me, before I was watching Buffy, I was watching a lot of, well, Sunset Beach, Baywatch, and (laughs) Melrose Place. And, I mean, they kind of had story arcs, but... Yeah, but not really. (laughs) No, it was more like Kimberly is uh, crazy and she's not telling anybody and she's going to blow up the building. I mean, it wasn't, like, significant, emotional... uh, Yeah. Yeah, you you couldn't relate to anything that was happening on Sunset Beach. No. (laughs) Unless you discovered that you had an evil twin. Yeah, which I did when I was in high school, actually. It was really funny. I, no. <laughs> no, wait, that was Sweet Valley High. Never mind. <laughs> oh, no, let's not go back onto Sweet Valley High. <laughs> We've spent a lot of time before we actually started recording talking about things like Sweet Valley High. <laughs> a shameful amount of time, and Very let's shameful. not that publicly. <laughs> because we're obviously talking about things that we were doing in the 90s, and both Taki and I read a lot of books and we were talking about the sort of books that we read and we got onto Sweet Valley High and yeah, an hour later we realised we were on the Sweet Valley <laughs> wiki of discussing Elizabeth <laughs> and Jessica Wakefield's lives in... Uh, and you know, the Valley. thing is that those books were very Sunset Beach, Melrose Placey yeah. I mean, it was all very soap drama and I mean Buffy in a sense is also kind of soap drama but it's also... I mean, it just has so much more substance than that. Because, I mean, let's face it, I'm sure there are, like, ten people who are still discussing the Sweet Valley High TV series, but it's not really... (laughs) Two of them are us. (laughs) (laughs) It's not... It didn't really have an impact on television like Buffy did. So, clearly, Buffy is different. Yeah. Although, I would like to add that Buffy doesn't have a theme song that you can sing along to. Uh, that's true. That's that's a shame. And I bet that if it had been called Rhonda the Immortal Waitress, it would have had a catchy theme theme, theme song. So there. Yeah. Maybe we should make one up. 
I thought it was nice when I was reading the Wikipedia page, they had a Joss quote where he says, uh, the Buffy concept is just the idea of some woman who seems completely insignificant, who turns out to be extraordinary. Mm. thought that was kind of a nice, a little bit of a nice sum up, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, I think we'll, we can talk about the legacy of Buffy a bit later because I wanted to just sort of point out the the legacy of, of Buffy and not in going into too much detail but in a roundabout kind of feminist point of view because Buffy is one of the very few shows on TV which has a female protagonist that's not just there to be someone's girlfriend but essentially she's the star of the show it's her show it's her name above the door and it's very rare I think it's even nowadays that a show on TV has that, you know, particular setup because normally in shows like that you normally get a guy. I don't know if I agree with nowadays because I feel like nowadays it's, I would say that it's kind of common. Uh, I mean, you have a lot of shows like Orphan Black, Lost Girls, uh, even, you know, like, fine, Game of Thrones is more of an ensemble thing, but you have a lot of and of strong female characters. Um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but I do feel like today it's, it is more like Jessica Jones, even, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean... But I think then there was definitely a shortage. Because, like, like mentioned, like, I would watch, like, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like, Sunset Beach, Melrose Place, and Baywatch. I mean, how many... Uh, fantastic uh, female heroes can you find in those shows? <laughs> and immediately my head pops to the episode where CJ was my favorite on Baywatch. It was Pamela Anderson and she does this dance competition and it ends with her boobs popping out uh, of her dress. <laughs> but that was pretty much what I was going for. No. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Uh excellent role model for you to have. <laughs> oh, excellent role model for all young girls. Um, no, I didn't I didn't mean that there was no shows nowadays. Like you say, I I wrote down when I was thinking about it earlier, I was thinking about, you know, shows with like a primary female protagonist in the same sort of vein and I kind of thought about things like Orphan Black and I even thought of something like Dollhouse, which mm-hmm. arguably wouldn't have been created if Buffy hadn't been there before it. You know, it didn't fare quite as well as as its cousin. But, yeah, certainly there are. And I do think that things are getting better in, you know, terms of gender equality in TV and in movies because there has been historically quite a big issue, uh, especially with, like, action films, sci-fi, that sort of thing. And I think it could it could definitely be better than the way it is. But Buffy definitely paved the way for kick-ass women. And yeah. it did become, you know, socially acceptable is kind of the wrong phrase. But, you know, the, the, the woman could be more than just the token girlfriend or the, the damsel in distress. Or, and yeah, I mean, just to be fair, I would say that it's like Buffy, Cena, and maybe Charmed, who were... 
you know, around the same time. I don't necessarily think that the other shows are a bit as Buffy or have the same death as Buffy, but they were also around at that time. Yeah. They do feel like they also deserve some credit. Like, it wasn't just Buffy, you know? No, it wasn't, it wasn't just Buffy at all. But, um... but Buffy was... I mean, kind of like that Joss quote. She was extraordinary, and, like, the show was unique in its way because, I mean, the thing is, like, it's kind of like with Charmed, it was about these sisters, and they had each other, and with Cena, you know, like, she wasn't, I can remember if she was entirely mortal or not, but she had Gabrielle, and she had all these, you know, mythology and stuff. Buffy was, like, it's kind of like, yeah, the becoming, uh, the end of becoming. It's about this just utterly normal girl who's all alone in the world and has this massive responsibility. Yeah. And I think that's what made her more relatable because she wasn't placed in Greek mythology and she didn't come from a magical line of people with also with magical history. You know, she was just like a regular girl who happened to become a hero. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I do remember watching Xena. I don't recall watching epi- any particular episodes of Xena, but I do remember enjoying Xena. And the same with Charmed. Like I've watched odd episodes of Charmed. I did watch Charmed, but not, not really <laughs> enough to kind of say, "Oh yeah, I understand the story" or anything. I'm- my mom loves Xena and Hercules. I think she liked Hercules because she got like the guy on it like <laughs> he was a dreamy and <laughs> so they showed a lot of Cena and so I but I never really watched that so I'm not I'm not really up on the cultural impact of that show at all really I just I know it's out there and I know that it has a following my old thinking was always that Xena was originally on the Hercules show and yeah. she got a spin-off and yeah. Xena was her spin-off show yeah, exactly. is that right? I think that I think that's true. So that kind of was also one, you know, along with Buffy, one of those start out points where it's like women can kick ass. <laughs> Certainly, the nineties, like you say, there were inklings of these female-led shows sort of starting to appear. Another great one. It's just not. It's not really female-led, but I guess you could argue that the female character is just as important as the male character, and that's the X Files. Oh, yeah, um, of course, uh, obviously. <laughs> you know, they're, they're a partnership. So yeah. They're kind of equal. And Dana Scully is, she's practical, she's smart. She reigns in Fox Mulder when he decides <laughs> that he wants to go off on some crazy harebrained idea that yeah, I mean, there are me, aliens and she's me, I, like a skeptic. I mean, I wouldn't have watched X-Files if it wasn't for Scully. Because, I mean, Mulder is kind of like... It can be cool, but if it was just him alone and nobody there to rein him in, it wouldn't be very interesting. Like, you need yeah. Scully there, because she's the anchor. <laughs> she, she is great. That show would not work if it was just Mulder, or Mulder yeah. and some random dude. It only works when you've got Scully there with him. And it's one of those shows that I watched quite a lot. I don't. I only remember certain episodes because I didn't regularly kind of watch it. But the recent revival that they did of The Exiles, I enjoyed, but I thought it was a little bit too kind of weird. And it's just which is strange because it's a sci-fi show. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, 
I didn't kind of connect with it as much as I as young me did connect to the X-Files originally, because I was obsessed with the X-Files. Pretty much about the same as I was obsessed with Buffy, I was obsessed with the X-Files. Um, so they were like sister shows in, <laughs> in my teenage years. It was like I'd watch the X-Files or I'd watch Buffy or I'd watch both. So I remember more of watching Buffy than I did of watching X-Files, but I know that I did watch X-Files quite a lot. I remember I bought the X-Files theme song on CD. <laughs> it came out as a CD single, <laughs> and I bought it. <laughs> yeah, that's how sad I was. <laughs> well, I bought the Buffy CDs. That's not so bad. They yeah. had some songs. No, and, you know, as we've established, I, I like to have Buffy CDs in my car. So, <laughs> so I think... I think what we need to do is, I think we need to talk a bit more about Buffy and a bit less about X-Files yeah. <laughs> and, and other stuff. Oh, God, we're so scattered. Anyway, yeah. more on Buffy. Yes. So should we read something that we've gotten from members? Yeah, because we did ask people for their thoughts and just about what Buffy means to them, what it's done for them um, and how they feel about it. And we asked for, we basically said you can either write your submission and we will use our best acting voices and we will enunciate your words in the best possible way that we can. Or you can send us a recording. Now, one, <laughs> one very brave person sent us a recording. Yeah, hello everyone. Uh, it's Ryder from Apocalypse here. Um, I just have a small, actually written piece that I... Uh, I'd like to read off to, in relation to what uh, Buffy means to me. Uh, in general, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a television show uh, for me. gave me incredible, unforgettable characters to go on a journey with, whether it be either the heroes or the villains. Uh, and it was for all ages, too. And it had, it had something to like for everyone of all ages. To me, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was like watching your favorite video game uh, in movie format. Uh, mostly because, obviously, the characters were so great. A lot of times can be thin or thick, depending on how you look at it, but it was more so of watching the characters, uh, their stories unfold uh, with the way they, they interact with each other and the way that they interact with the overall plot of whatever season. So to relate it to a video game, for me, for example, my favorite uh, game series is Mass Effect. And it, for me, Buffy is, a sh is like watching Mass Effect for me. Anyways, uh, the show also gave me like a measuring stick to use for certain type of characters. For example, uh, I'll see for whatever character of any show or movie I'll be watching, and I'll, I'm, I'll recognize, hey, that reminds me of Xander, or hey, that's like Buffy, or hey, that's like Andrew, or Faith, or whatever. Um, that particularly pertains more so to like fantasy slash vampire shows for like True Blood, for example, uh, Vampire Diaries, uh, the originals. I, I, you can't watch it and not and not think to yourself or say, hey, they got that from Buffy or Buffy did that, and I re I can recognize that or relate to uh, a certain character from Buffy to that show. Uh, basically, if it wasn't for Buffy, that I wouldn't have actually given these shows a chance. I wouldn't be watching Vampire Diaries or the originals or True Blood and those kind of shows as well. So the, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer also opened me up to that genre to enjoy it. Um, also, one major thing I can say is, for Buffy, uh, for the pro section, is uh, after so long after, uh, since it's been completed uh, and off the air, 
I can say without a shadow of a doubt, there's been nothing like this show. Um, nothing even comes close to it. Just the way that the characters are written, the, the choreography, which is a huge thing. That's the one thing that is sorely missing from vampire shows and from, um, excuse me, fantasy, fantasy shows today is the choreography. I can't explain to you how angry it makes me when I'm watching, uh, like for example, Vampire Diaries, and they vampires super speed up to each other and snap their neck, boom, it's over. And you're standing there like, what the fudge was that? Meanwhile, you watch Buffy, and you see the incredible fight scenes mixed in with the like the tension between the characters and you know characters either being uh, either heroes, villains, uh, and the the way that they interact with each other while all while everything is going down. It just it's incredible. Uh, for me, Buffy is basically an inspirational piece for any show or uh, piece of literature, uh, any type of art. This, to me, Buffy was basically uh, something to take inspiration from and use because it was so well done. The characters were so well done. Uh, and most importantly, uh, and lastly, uh, the, basically the biggest thing for me personally with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and how it affected my life, it saved my younger cousin from getting into Twilight. So Buffy will forever be in my heart for that. So thank you very much. And uh, just a special shout-out to Athene and to Tate for hosting the podcast and creating it and doing such a good job. And a special uh, yeah, sorry, special uh, shout-out to everyone on the Buffy Boards for basically being there and being someone that I can, or being a group of people that I can relay my thoughts on Buffy with, considering I was never able to do this before, especially when the show aired, because I watched it in high school, season five, and I had to go back and rewatch it. But anyways... Shout out to all of you guys, and uh, take care. That was Rider of Apocalypse, who said some really lovely things. And has a really great name. And also, it's weird, because he doesn't sound the way that I thought he would sound. <laughs> well, nobody does, do yeah, they now? I know, I know, but it, this week on the boards, Mr. Trick has been talking about his radio show. Um, and coincidentally, I listened to that. And again, he didn't sound like I, what I thought he would sound like either. So I he think... didn't sound like a black vampire? <laughs> I'm so disappointed. I'm not going to listen to that show now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I genuinely was expecting Mr. Trick to sound like Mr. Trick, and he doesn't sound like Mr. Trick at all. Um, uh, a little but... bit disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got Thoughts and Chase Rules. I'll do Pricelesses first. Priceless messaged me the following, and obviously I'll try and... Say it in the voice that I think Priceless would talk like, <laughs> which oh, is coincidentally identical to myself. Uh, I'm expecting, like, a great accent now. Go for it. Go for that. <laughs> this show means so much to me now. <laughs> okay, I'll do it properly now. Um, Priceless says, this show means so much to me because it is the best show ever. It comes down to the unique writing, which is so warm and clever. This show has a language all of its own, and I'd never heard anything like it on TV before. I was hooked from that first episode. It was funny and intelligent, and the situations, though dealt with in metaphor, were so real to me. The characters were so well drawn and spoke to me. I could empathise with all of them at one time or another. I enjoy every season and every character, but I loved Buffy Summers from the first moment I met her, and I will always love her. She's my hero, flaws and all. 
And I bet there are times in all our lives when we all think, what would Buffy do to help us make that tough decision or get through that tough time? I will always go back to Buffy because there's nothing else like it and nothing has surpassed it in 20 years and I'm not sure anything ever will. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, it was lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, I must you know, She has a real point there because, I mean, again, I don't think... I mean, fine, sure, I still talk about, like, Gilmore Girls, but I talk about Gilmore Girls on the Buffy board, you know? I'm not on a Gilmore Girl board. Uh, so basically, Buffy is like that one show that I keep coming back to. Yeah. And I like the point where she she mentions that she will always love Buffy and she's her hero, flaws and all, mm-hmm. because Buffy's not a perfect character. In many shows, you know, people are perceived to be perfect. It's like we mentioned Sweet Valley High earlier, you know, the, they're supposed to be perfect, size six, Californian blondes with perfect hair and perfect teeth. And, and in many ways, Buffy is similar to that, but she's she's got a character and she's got a personality and, and that's not perfect. Sometimes she makes the bad decisions. Um, yeah. And she has flaws, but that makes her more human and, and more relatable. I think that's part of the reason why the show works as well as it does and why people still go back to it is because they can relate to pretty much everyone on the I show. Agree. Or um, at least to some character, you know. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, I'm just saying, like, if you don't relate to Buffy, there's so many other characters who are great characters that you can relate to. There is someone for everyone, kind of, you know? I really relate to Clem. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I think it's because we have the same facial skincare routine. I was going to say that I also have that kind of skin condition where I get (laughs) flappy, and I don't like to brag about this, but I have played kitten poker. And no. (gasps) Cat will not be happy with you. <laughs> well, you know, I don't eat the kittens myself. I just feed them to my dog. No! <laughs> I'm just I kidding! I don't think we can be friends anymore. <laughs> so what did Chase Rules have to say? Chase Rules, and I quote, says, uh, Buffy means a lot to me because Spike, Spike sucks. Angel is awesome. Astronauts would win over cavemen. Talkie rules, we should make talkie queen of the world, and also Athena rules. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe that was not exactly what they wrote. ACI paraphrase a little bit. <laughs> okay, so here's what they actually wrote. <laughs> it, it can't top what I just said, but um, there is a lot I can say about Buffy. From being a show I liked so much, I would hang up on people, even my friends, if they called while I was watching Buffy, to not go out when there was a show on that night, no matter how many times I had seen it before. But the best thing I learned from Buffy was how to keep a job. My first job was as a dishwasher, and sometimes I wondered why I kept my job. Buffy helped me with that. I felt here she was saving the world and still had to work fast food. If she had to work a job, then I couldn't quit myself. So I didn't leave, even though I was afraid I would be stuck there. And after between a year or two, the restaurant closed down and I got a better job. That's something I really got out of Buffy. Also, after watching uh, after watching it, I stopped using the word wish, as in I wish I had never done that or I wish I had that. 
since after seeing what happened when someone wished for something, uh, it always ended badly. <laughs> the end. <laughs> and that's very true. Wishes do not go well in the Buffy Wars. No. No, not at all. But I really like the point that Chase Rule made about when you have responsibilities, you can't just yes. kind of walk away from those responsibilities. You have to just deal with them. I like that too. I felt that that was a bit of a redeeming uh, quality to the Double Meat Palace storyline. Yeah, because at the end of the day, she she didn't give up. She yeah. carried on. She knew that she had a responsibility and she stuck at it. And I think that's an admirable quality in anyone. And I think it just proves that, like Chase Rule said, that even if you start at the bottom you can work your way up and you will work your way up and they said there's always something better around the corner and you can't just quit exactly um, and I think that's, that's a really good kind of life lesson for anyone yeah really is I um, never really thought about that plot line like that so I thought that was very nice to get to read because yeah definitely but then I've never worked past food either but my uh, foster brother did and I do remember that. He really hated that job, and, you know, he smelled that job. Uh, like, you really bring that smell home with you. And he was also, like, really afraid that he was going to get stuck with that forever, you know. You could say it's not just the fast food industry. I mean, I remember my first job was working in a supermarket. And at the time, I enjoyed it because I made friends in the supermarket, and we all kind of hung out after we'd finished our shift. And, but at the time, I was, I kind of felt a little bit like, am I going to be working in this supermarket for the rest of my life? And of course, I didn't. But, you know, you've, you've got to carry on at it and you've got to keep going and you, you just can't give up. It's never ideal to be working in a supermarket when you don't want to be. But, um, you know, you're you've got to do it. Yeah, especially when you're, I mean, not especially when you're young, it can happen to anyone. But, you know, it's kind of like one of those good entrance jobs that you can get with little experience. Mm. Uh, if it's a supermarket or fast food or whatever, those jobs can be a bit tedious and you often don't want to get stuck there. But it's, I mean, it is a bit about learning responsibility and taking care of yourself. And, yeah. Yeah. Being an adult. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and, and that's one of Buffy's life lessons, is that being a kid in school is hard, but being an adult is harder. Although, and, I have to say, if fast food money was enough to pay for Buffy's house, then I would definitely have been working fast food, like, right out of high school. <laughs> I, I just logged on to the McDonald's website and submitted an application. <laughs> She has a pretty nice house, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I still think that there was some inheritance or something like that that <laughs> kept that house running, because there must have been. Like know, Giles think, just kept funding her money. Maybe her mother had, like, a really good insurance policy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but you you would never be able to afford to run that house and all of the people in it, because at that point, Willow and Tara are living there as well. They're all in school, so it's not Yeah, so they don't want any money. So you've got four people living in the house, you've got people coming by all the time. 
you've got to pay that gas and electric bill somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a final uh, written submission from Geobubbles that I'm going to read. Geobubbles says, I have been watching Buffy since I was very young, around three or four. Oh, I, wow. I know. That's, uh, that's incredible. I feel old now. <laughs> I kind of feel a little bit like, my, well, my niece is six, and I feel like she's been missing out for the last two or three years. I better get cracking on her. Um, yeah. <laughs> sit her in front of Welcome to the Hellmouth. I'm sure she'll love it. Anyway, Joe Bubbles continues. I grew up with it. It's always just been a big part of my life. I was bullied a lot when I was younger, and I didn't have the best home environment. So watching Buffy was the highlight of my days, and I thought of the characters as my friends. I know it seems silly, but they were always there for me when everyone else wasn't. It's amazing that I can finally reach out to people on here, she means Buffy boards, that feel so strongly and have the same passion for Buffy as I do. I don't think that's silly at all. No, because, I don't. You know, we were going to talk about also our, uh, what Buffy means to us personally. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm just going to say that, you know, like, uh, season one to three, or probably, or maybe one to four, uh, anyway, are most, like, emotionally resonant with me because I want to watch them. Like, especially season one and two, because I was also not living in a great home environment. And, like, watching Buffy was, like, a, an amazing comfort to me. And she was such a role model to me. And, I mean, I have a terrible stepdad, so that's why I love the episode 10 so much. Because you <laughs> got to essentially just kill the terrible stepdad. Yeah. Which I didn't do. Don't worry, anyone. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like, the show was, like, it was so, I mean, not, I mean, obviously, it is high school as hell, but life, when life was really hard then, like, that show was so significant to me. Yeah. Um, do you think it was almost like your kind of solace that even though you were having difficulties at home, you could just kind of forget about them for 45 minutes or however yeah, long and, and just enjoy something that was yours? And Pretty much, yeah. And, you know, I would, like, record the episodes from VHS so I could watch them again. Uh, and, yeah, that was, that was really my solace. And it's kind of funny because uh, Buffy was never, like, super huge in Sweden. So I remember I watched, like, season one and season two. And then they showed it on, like, I think it was, like, Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon. Uh, and then by season three, I was actually in foster care. Uh, so for the first time in my life, I had a TV in my room, which was amazing because uh, Buffy was such a huge hit on Swedish television that season three was aired at, like, midnight on Wednesdays. <laughs> uh, it was, like show together with Dark Angel and this other horrible show that I also watched called The Chronicle uh, with a girl who was on Melrose Place. So that's why I watched it, because I thought she was really pretty, and that's what went into my decision-making then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would literally stay up every Wednesday night, uh, night, and I can't remember if it was shown at 11 p.m. or at actual midnight, but it was one of those times, because it was along with Dark Angel. And, yeah, so season three was 
just, you know, for me, that feeling is just like watching it, sequin it in my room. <laughs> uh, and it was a great comfort, too. And then I think I watched season four like that as well. But around season five, I think they kind of stopped showing it on Swedish television because maybe like Wednesday around midnight is not the best way to catch an audience. I don't know. <laughs> but I remember that they showed like season five and six later on as kind of an after school special. It was kind of around like three or four PM and they showed these horrible versions of the show where it was cut up because they cut out because it was so early in the afternoon they they cut out all the violence yeah they do that it's, on the sci-fi channel here as well and yeah it's terrible. i remember reading that it aired from the uk so it was like you know like every staking in that is cut out but what they've done is that they kind of freeze the frame so you hear the noises So then I was like, oh, I'm just going to stop watching the show. And then I started buying the DVDs instead of waiting for the DVDs because I was like, I can't watch it like this. I can't watch it all like chopped up Uh, because it it just made it horrible, really. Mm. And then so then I got a bit behind. Then I just started waiting for the DVDs to come out and watching them like that. So for me. The later season weren't as emotionally resonant, and I think that's because I didn't watch them, you know, week to week. It's because they had to wait and then get the DVDs. Um, so it wasn't really the same anymore, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I suppose maybe I wasn't um, in the same emotional place anymore, but uh, those first, maybe four seasons were really significant to my own personal well-being. I really felt like I was trying to write up, you know, write something like what Buffy meant to me. And the two things that came to my mind was, one, the becoming uh, speech that Whistle gives when he says that nobody wants their life to change, but it does. I remember both me and my foster sister were really, like, influenced by that quote, um, that whole speech he gives. We thought that was pretty amazing and then just me personally I felt like Buffy means finding strength when you think you have no strength you know yeah and that's it (laughs) I think it's really nice when you can sort of take a situation like a life situation that is obviously difficult for any child or young person to go through to sort of you know if you end up in foster care and because of how Buffy was there there's a, a positivity in kind of that situation and that you can still maybe relate to the the sort of feelings that Buffy had sort of in the earlier seasons. And maybe as well, when Dawn arrived, did you feel a bit more sympathy for Dawn's situation? The fact that she wasn't there before, but now she was there. Actually, not at all. No? But it was mostly because, you know, I was so focused on Buffy that I identified with Buffy. And I was so disappointed because, you know, I had a, a little brother. And, you know, I had a really messy childhood. And a lot of the times it was just me either up in foster care or it was before that it was me alone with my brother. And I was raising him on my own. And so I was so disappointed in how Buffy was treating Dawn a lot of the time. Because I felt like 
yeah, that, I was really disappointed in just how she was treating this person because for me, my brother became my life in a way. Like he was the most special and precious thing I had. And a lot of the times I felt like, well, I guess that was more around season six, but I felt like Buffy just wasn't treating Don that way. Um, so I was always, I was never really focused on Dawn herself. I was just focused on how Buffy was reacting to Dawn, kind of. Oh, okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, that does. I just didn't know if, if, you know, you kind of felt any kind of connection to Dawn based on your own personal experiences. Not really, because Dawn was a child and you know because of my experiences I felt like I was a lot more like Buffy that I never really got to be a child uh, so I always felt like I had a lot of responsibility over like my parents and over my brother and stuff like that like I wasn't out slaying vampires or anything but <laughs> you know uh, sometimes it did feel like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders so I never really identified with Dawn because she was a child you know and she was a regular child. Like, I could see my brother in her. He could also be a brat sometimes. Um, so I never really identified with her experience at all, really. Did he scream, get out, get out, get out? I do a lot. Yeah, so often. <laughs> Every day, no. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, as far as Buffy being uh, influential for me, obviously, as probably everybody knows by now, I obviously named my dog Buffy. Actually, it technically wasn't me who named my dog Buffy because I have three choices and I told my brother, you get to pick from these three names. What do you think she should be called? And he said, you should call her Buffy because you're like obsessed with that show. <laughs> <laughs> he knows you too well. <laughs> what were the other two choices just out of interest? I can't remember anymore. That's, it really annoys me because I remember me and my foster sister were both like super living together at the time and we were like, oh, we have these three and we love these three names equally much. So he gets to pick. And I have no, because she was such a buffy. It just fit her so well. Yeah. Because she's small but freakishly strong. <laughs> <laughs> and very good looking. <laughs> and very pretty dog. She slays toys, but she slays. <laughs> she does slay. <laughs> so, I didn't actually write any real notes. <laughs> I write notes on everything else other than what Buffy means to me personally. So I was just going to... just Come out and turn the heart? I was just going to talk. And hopefully it's not going to, you know, be several hours worth. Um, hopefully it's not about Sweet Valley High, but... <laughs> um, no, it starts when I read a Point Horror book. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what would be really good in this Point Horror book? Um, a blonde girl called Buffy, who finds <laughs> the bad things in the Point Horror books. No, I, I think for me, I remember watching Buffy. Buffy was shown in the UK... I think it was about six o'clock in the evening and it was shown on BBC Two. The BBC is our state-funded broadcaster, so there are no ads on the BBC. And I always remember watching Buffy at six and because obviously episodes of Buffy were only like 40 minutes long. And my memory from that sort of time in my life is very sketchy. 
because I have had quite a few kind of medical issues in the past which have affected my kind of memory. Oh, and I was going to say, I would just do lots of drugs. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I did have to take, like, concoctions of drugs to kind of sort myself out. Um, I don't take those anymore. They were prescription, just so you As know. long as it was pres- prescription and not, like, heroin, you know? No. <laughs> no, I have never touched anything like that in my life. But yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, so- guys. I just, I'm just thinking about, because before this, we were talking about Sweet Valley High, and it's <laughs> one of the stories, it's like a girl takes heroin and she dies. She dies! Because <laughs> that was what the 90s were like. Yeah. If you did anything bad, you died, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like... In on um in things like I know I'm going to go back to my memories in a bit, but in things like Saved by the Bell, if, <laughs> someone, if someone did something in Saved by the Bell, they always had like an announcement at the end to go, "Now kids, we know that Jesse took caffeine pills." I was going to say it's like when Jesse took caffeine pills. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> anyway. 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 Let's let's stop about our ninety shows, but we we need to talk after this about Saved by the Bell because I had a lot of love for that show as well. Um, but yeah, so I I was talking about serious things as well, and you put me right off. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I basically had to have uh, brain scans and stuff. They did find a brain, by the way, it is in there. But I had quite a lot of issues I when I was younger. I think we're gonna need evidence of that. <laughs> <laughs> what of, of my actual brain scan? From, yeah. From age 11. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you do really like Spike, so I feel like I need... Uh, no. <laughs> what, what's going to happen on. is I'm going to send you a picture of a brain scan, and I'm going to... And the brain's just going to look like Spike. <laughs> and you're going to be like, damn it, that's the reason why. Um, so anyway, back to my very serious um, ailments as a child. Um, <laughs> basically, I had some issues, and it has affected my memory to a degree that I remember some things from my childhood. Like, I remember friends that I went to school with, um, close friends, but I don't remember other people that were in my class. Um, I don't remember certain trips that I went on. And basically, my memories are very sketchy. And But I do remember sitting down at 6 o'clock I'm trying to remember the day. I'm thinking it might have been a Tuesday, but I'm not entirely sure. But it was BBC Two, six o'clock, and watching Buffy. And I'm pretty sure that I watched sort of all of Buffy, sort of every week, sort of through all of like the earlier seasons up to the late ones. But because my memories are so bad, I only remembered certain bits from it. So, really, my proper, proper true love for Buffy came a little bit later because my memories are sketchy kind of between sort of in my teen years um, up to like being like an adult and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, that was like, that was like the time that I was, you know, watching Buffy. And I did do a rewatch mid kind of 20s, but I didn't watch them all. I kind of picked and chose episodes that I liked the most (laughs) (laughs) and I remember back then watching a lot of season six specifically 
and season six was something that I didn't actually recall watching much of. Sort like of a few you... years previous to that. Yeah. I obviously remembered once more with feeling a lot because <laughs> my my mem it's weird, my memory is so strange because obviously I remember family members and things like that. Things that I, I know I remember but I always remember songs and I remember movies and I remember T V shows. You just, so you do you think that that's maybe that it's like if you think about brain like that memories, let's say they make grooves, and like a trip, you take it once, but a show or a song, you can hear it many, many times, so it makes like a deeper impact, Probably. because it's like wedged into your brain in a different way, because it's not just one time, it's repeatedly. Yeah, possibly, possibly, that, that probably helps a lot, you know, when it comes to things that I remember, but obviously, once more with feeling, had songs in. So I yeah. kind of instantly remembered the songs. I can pretty much remember song lyrics and stuff like that from listening to a song maybe twice. Wow. That's, that's impressive because I love songs, but I still just have no idea what the lyrics are. <laughs> that's the really strange thing. I can't remember a girl that I went to school with, but I can remember a song after listening to it like once or twice. And I will know pretty much all of the lyrics. My brain is weird. Well, but, I think we established that you're a weirdo. Yeah, but anyway, there, there is a point to my incessant rambling. In addition to the issues that I had with, like, memory and with different kind of elements of being a kid and stuff like that, I've always kind of been very vocal about my love for a season that most people really dislike. <laughs> oh, I wonder what that one is. <laughs> it's probably season three, right? <laughs> I do love season three, but there is a season that I love more. And it's season six. And there's this very specific reason why. In the, the start of season six, Buffy is brought back from the dead. And I too have been brought back from the dead. No, I haven't. But um, obviously when she's brought back from the dead, she goes through um, a period of, you know, being quite severely depressed and not really knowing where she is or what she's doing and does she belong and should she be here and she starts to kind of act out a little bit and she starts the kind of relationship with Spike and he tries to drag her sort of deeper into the shadows with him and she loses touch with her friends and that very much kind of mirrors what I was experiencing mid-twenties in the... I was at a point in my life when I just kind of ended a relationship and I didn't really know what I was doing, where I was going, I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. And I had a group of friends that I'd known for a long time. And I basically met a guy who probably wasn't the sort of guy that you would take home to see your parents. <laughs> he was the bad boy. You know, he was Spike. He was a guy, and he was good-looking, and he was charming, and he was not good for me. And at the time, I was, he's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and I lost touch with my friends, and I really kind of struggled at that time. And, you know, eventually, I kind of got away from that situation, and I sort of eventually got, got back in touch with my friends and stuff like that. And I, I basically did that 
on my own. I thought I found a way to make myself happy and I found a way to get out of that steep slope of, I wouldn't call it depression because I don't think it was, but I was lost and I had to kind of find my own way out of that. It was like being in a maze. You have to find your own way out. And when I watched season six, I really relate to Buffy's feelings and to her emotions and to that relationship that she has with Spike. And admittedly, that guy that I met wasn't (laughs) a good guy (laughs) at all, but I still have love for the bad boy. No, I, uh, when I first watched the Olympics, I was also really depressed, so I really felt like I understood Buffy, and I quite enjoyed that season for that reason, because it really allowed me to be even more depressed, which is when you're depressed, it's kind of nice to be even more depressed, because it's like, you know what it's like to be depressed, so you like kind of burying yourself into this dark whole because you're like oh well yeah i know this is a lot less scary than going out into the world i'll just be here and feel bad and um so uh then i did have a love for season six and now i obviously uh have a great loathing for season six but that is partly because i never really liked the bad boy thing i kind of always hate the bad boy i don't like i i mean like i don't like jess and gilmore girls i don't like spike i don't like I can't, well, I like Heathcliff and Wuthering Heights for some, God knows what reason, because he's not a bad boy, he's a villain. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't get the bad boy thing. I don't, I, the thing is, I wouldn't say that the the whole bad boy thing is, is something that I would say to anyone, oh, yeah, do that, it's great, because it's not, and I am married now and my husband is a lovely lovely man (laughs) so (laughs) bad boys aren't the be all and end all of life but you know like I said I've said it before you know I am team Jess in Gilmore Girls (laughs) I I am team Spike Uh, sometimes I don't know why why do we even do this now sometimes (laughs) I don't know why but again it's like you you sort of take your personal experience and you kind of relate it in whatever way you think is best for you. And that was a particularly poisonous time in my life. And when I watched season six, I kind of watch it and I'm like, you know, I, I, I fought like Buffy fought. And I think that my reason for disliking the bad boys probably that, you know, my mom left my dad so she could start dating bad boys. And then I got this horrible stepdad who was, yeah, you know, the reason why I ended up in foster care. So he was a real bad boy. Yeah. And I think that's probably why I hate bad boys, because I grew up around one, yeah. like, as as an adult bad boy. So I, I'm just, like, that's probably why I'm, like, yeah, nope, yeah. get that out of here. Yeah, bad boys are not good life choices. Definitely. Like you say, they don't all go out and get themselves a soul. <laughs> I have a lot of love for a season that not many people care about but it's from my hey, I know the feeling because one of my favorite seasons is season one and people love hating season one and I think season one is one of the best seasons I love season one I literally love season one so much well I love the puppet show <laughs> well yes we know you have a thing for the puppet <laughs> and my copy of uh, Book of the Vampire Chaos Bleeds 
for the Xbox has, well, it arrived yesterday, and the reason I bought it was because someone said you could play as Sid. <laughs> oh, you haven't played it before? No. Oh, yeah, because no. I got that when it came out, and no. I, I really hate it that you have to play Sid. <laughs> well, I don't have an Xbox. I've got an Xbox 360, and I didn't realise that you could play Xbox games on your Xbox 360, so I bought the game and it was super cheap because it was second hand and yeah I'm gonna play it on my Xbox 360 and so you probably won't hear from it for a while. I do remember that it was a pretty fun game. I mostly I didn't hate Sid because he was puppet. I hated Sid because you know when you can play like Buffy and Faith they have all these cool moves but he's a bloody puppet so he doesn't have any cool moves. He's just this tiny wooden man and it's a very frustrating to play. (laughs) Well I'm looking forward to playing Sid. That sounds that sounded a lot less dirty in my head. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, moving on. <laughs> well, why is this podcast called so random? <laughs> We've kind of talked about everything. Um, <laughs> it's because we're stuck in like this '90s loop. We are. And anybody who's ever watched any kind of '90s show that's not Buffy knows that a lot of the times they get stuck in like these like kind of dream scenarios where the screen goes all foggy yeah. or maybe, and then they're in a the dream scenario, and that's where we are right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about what Buffy means to us individually, and I think we've gone quite deep as well. I wasn't expecting to go as deep as we've gone. I think it's good to talk about these things and to sort of... Well, because, you know, it's like, I remember uh, ages ago, I bought a book that I don't have anymore, but it was about Joss Whedon and it was called, like, Joss Whedon, the genius behind Buffy or something. Uh, And they had a quote from him where he said that, you know, he didn't want to make a show that, like, people liked he wanted one that like got into their dreams or something like that you know one that like really affected them emotionally and I think that it's the I mean it's a testament to how successful he was in creating a show that really gets into the nitty-gritty of people so to speak yeah that it's still around and still talked about 20 years later because we wouldn't still be talking about it unless we have been truly, like, touched by it. Exactly. And what amazes me is that on the boards, there are obviously people who've been on the boards for many, many years. There are people who joined up a couple of years ago. And then there are people who, you know, the, the join rate, there's people constantly joining. So there are people who have either maybe loved Buffy for ages and just found it. There are people who are literally just starting to watch it now who are saying, well, this show is great. I want to talk about it. And th- the fact that it can still resonate so deeply with old, you know, not old people, but, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe old people, but everyone. I guess that's quite a shame if they take it off Netflix because I think that a lot of people find it because it's on Netflix. And let's face it, I mean... That kind of availability is partly why people give things a try these days, because you don't have to buy it, you know. You can just hop on a few episodes and see if you like it or not. Well, exactly. I mean, I would probably never have sat and watched Gilmore Girls, all seven seasons, all 154 episodes, plus the revival recently, if it weren't all on Netflix, because it's so accessible. And you pay your Netflix subscription, you can binge watch over a couple of months like I did, and you don't have to pay for all of the DVDs. And it 
it's a real shame. But to be honest, in the UK, we lost Buffy on Netflix quite a while ago, which was pretty gutting, to be honest, because I did a lot of my last year's, not last year, sorry, the year before was when I rewatched it most recently. Um, and I did pretty much all of that on Netflix because in the UK we didn't have the horrible HD remasters. We had like the original. Um, Which, thank God. <laughs> I don't even know why they have those ones, the, the other ones out, because they're terrible. I, uh, I watched them. When I was in America, I um, we had some downtime, so I went on Netflix on my tablet in San Francisco and watched. <laughs> I think it was Welcome to the Hellmouth that I watched in <laughs> HD. And yeah, it was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just like, oh, just erase those editions from the memory of mankind. But I think that it's really good that we still have, oh, look here, Buffy comes. Although dog Buffy, not dog. Not real Buffy. You've not, you've not <laughs> yes, kidnapped her again. Leave her and yes, shelter her alone. <laughs> no, that's not her squeaking <laughs> in the background. I, I promise. I wouldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, we we still have it on Swedish Netflix, which I think is good because we don't have like you know like the Sci-Fi Network uh, or whatever that's called. You know the ones yeah. you said that had uh, yeah, we don't really have that. So I don't think that there's any TV channels that still show Buffy. So Netflix, it's pretty much Netflix or nothing. Although at least with Netflix, they don't cut the episodes down because, like yeah. I said earlier, Sci-Fi is terrible for it. Yeah. I like I said, I was watching Two to Go earlier, and the fight scene at the end between Buffy and Willow in the magic box is so ridiculous because it's like they won't even show people being pushed off. <laughs> I know. It's ridiculous. We're it trying to watch something like that, and you're like, it's it's unwatchable because I mean, what is? I mean. It's not even graphic violence, no. you know? It's not like she's beating somebody to a pulse and, like, blood flying everywhere. So it's fundamentally ridiculous that they don't show it because it's... I mean, what's stuffy without that violence? I'm sorry, but <laughs> I need the violence. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're going to watch a show like Buffy, I appreciate that there's the watershed. And UK TV is very strict about what you can show at certain times of the day. But, like you say, Buffy's not graphic violence. There's lots of punching and kicking, and you can't cut someone being kicked or punched or staked. I mean, they turn to dust. It's not like there's, you know, like you say, it's not like there's blood everywhere. Um, No, and I mean, like, fine, it's like a young girl who gets, I mean, she gets beaten up too sometimes, but I don't know, it's never like, I mean, there's like... There's one single episode in, like, Buffy when I know that Buffy gets brutally beaten up, and it's season seven with the Uber vamp. Mm. And that's when she pretty much gets, like, pummeled, you know? But otherwise, for the early seasons, I mean, she comes off without a scratch for the most time, and it's, like, obvious that when somebody kicks her, she's, like, five miles away <laughs> and just falls over. Uh, I mean, it's so, it's so obviously not a girl getting beaten up. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I just think it's ridiculous. <laughs> Obviously, I don't make notes on how I feel, but I, I make notes just generally. And I just wanted to talk about I thought it would be nice if we talked about Buffy's legacy a little bit I know we mentioned it very briefly 
at the start. But one thing I wanted to kind of talk about was Buffy's feminist legacy. And thinking of Buffy, the show, not just obviously Buffy as a character, the show, I feel, is is unique from the point of view that if you look at the seasons as a whole, I mean, some seasons, obviously, cast-wise, generally you have an, an equal split between men and women in the cast, you know, in the main credits. But generally, it's a show where the majority of the main cast are women, with the perennial kind of cast members like Oz and Giles in the later seasons, who basically becomes a a guest star. Xander is really the only constant male lead star throughout that's, that's credited at the start. And then obviously you've got like Angel and, and then in the later season Spike. But Jen Riley. <laughs> Riley. He's in the credit. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Riley. But generally Captain Cardboard is him. <laughs> forget. I did forget. I'm just kidding, I do like I I like Riley now. <laughs> <laughs> um but generally I would argue that it's a show with a slight majority of a female cast. Obviously you have Buffy, you have Willow, you have Cordelia, you have Anya, Dawn. Tara's credited once, isn't she? Yeah. Um, in seeing Red. Right before to kill her. Yeah, that's not good. Oh, I always found that incredibly harsh. It's like, yeah, we're, we're promoting you to main star, but you're getting killed. That's incredibly harsh. When I first watched the show, I was really excited because I was like, oh, look, Carol's in the credits. And it's like, oh, she died. That's yeah. Cool. And, and then I was like, why? Why did you do this to us? Why? <laughs> I always found that quite sad. I think she should have been put in the credits long, long before then. Yeah, like, but I guess something to do with their salary and, yeah. Yeah, I've been listening to the Gilmore Girls podcast they've been talking a lot about the differences between if you're starring cast member if you're a co-star if you're a guest star and the differences between what you get paid and your you know the right you, <laughs> you know like two months ago you had never watched Gilmore Girls and now you're in deep man <laughs> yeah, not even yeah. I've listened to a Gilmore Girls podcast and I've watched shows since, like, 2000. No, well, I've been listening to Gilmore Girls podcast sort of as I've been watching. And I've just been finding it really interesting. And obviously, it, I I didn't know that there were differences between a co-star and a guest star. And then you've got, like, special guest stars and all of that. And Buffy obviously has those as well. But, yeah, there is a difference between all these different starring roles that I, I, did, I genuinely didn't know anything about. But... Buffy being a female-led and a with a primary female I, cast. I have to say, because I, I guess that I'm not the best person to talk about this to you, because I've never considered Buffy especially feminist, mm-hmm. and I don't think that the show is particularly feminist. Uh, so I'm like, having more women on the show doesn't necessarily make it feminist. No, it doesn't, but... What I like about it is that all of the women on the show, for a start, there there is no kind of one token female character. And the female characters that we do have are all different. They're all sort of multifaceted characters. They're all well-rounded and they all kind of bring something different to the show. For example, Cordelia, 
when we meet her, she's the sort of queen bee of the school. She's sarcastic. She's cruel. And yet she's also shown to be quite loving in certain circumstances. She's very witty. And I think on other shows, you would just have the... The mean girl. The, just the, the mean she, girl, yeah. She's who, just to be harmony all the way out. Yeah. With a show like Buffy, you kind of see all these different kind of facets of, of people's characters. I am going to say, though, I'm going to be a bit of a bitch here, but I do think that Anya is pretty much a token character. Well... Like, I don't feel like... Anya doesn't really get the least bit of growth until about, like, selfless in season seven, which is, yeah. like, one episode. And before that, she's just straight-up token figure. I do agree with you on Anya in that respect, but I've always had an issue with how they write her because I think they've always found it quite difficult because yeah. she's an ex-vengeance demon. Well, I feel like when you... a bit unique in her life experiences, and but I think it's particularly difficult to sometimes well, I mean, empathise with her. Yeah, because I mean, uh, but I think that as far as writing goes, in season three, she was a vengeance demon, but she was like, she could still act like a person, like she could blend into the high school, yeah. uh, she could go to her prom, she acted like a person, she, I mean, it, I felt like there was something to her character then, but then the way they wrote her later, and I felt especially around season five and six, she just kind of became just like punchline, 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 punchline. Uh, that was like all she was. She was just like the pretty girl who gave punchlines often about sex. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, we've always so I feel like they had something the... with her and then they just kind of ruined it. Yeah, we've always said didn't... though that Buffy is a show. It's it's not a perfect show. It's by no means a perfect show. It has missteps. And I do think that Anya is a particularly missteppy misstep. I think it is nice that women can look at a show like this and see that there are so many types of character of women represented. I mean, we're not going to go into the whole representation thing because we know that representation in Buffy is not great on the whole. They're in Southern California and there's no Hispanic people and there's no black people. I think that that is partly why I always... Um, I always felt it lacking that... Buffy and Cordelia never really became friends because they always wanted them to become friends because it was, I was kind of reading a, a book, I think it's called Shadowhunters. It's another like teenage book and it's about like a girl finds out that she has superpowers and then there's this other girl there who's like way more popular and really pretty and so the other girl hates her because she's so pretty and I feel like I really wanted Buffy and Cordy to become friends because Buffy's friends with Willow, fine, but Buffy's like the pretty girl out of them, the two of them, and she's like the popular girl, and I I just really, I mean, now I'm just kind of nitpicking, but I really wanted them to show that, like, these two popular pretty girls could also become friends, you know? Uh, that it doesn't always have to be, like, competition, because it feels like for a large part of Cordy's part on the show, she's a bit of competition for Buffy or like that she competes with her for Angel and stuff like that. And I just, I really wanted to see them get past that kind of women can't be friends kind of a thing. Yeah. Like she was kind of like the foil to yeah. Buffy's. Which was the yeah. point of her, but I really wish that they would have gotten past that. 
And again, I'm totally nitpicking here. I'm aware of that. Yeah. But that was that's just like a wish for me that I always wanted from the show. I wanted them to show that women, uh, pretty popular women too, can be friends with each other. You know. Yeah. yeah. Because that's that's <laughs> the way it is in real life. You know, women are friends with women who are popular and successful and nerdy and yeah. I'm not sure I'm explaining it well. Uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah on the just the thoughts of like Buffy herself um I know that Charisma Carpenter was up for the role but I don't know anyone else who was do you like that oh was she oh, okay well in that case I don't think that either Julie Benz or Charisma Carpenter could have played Buffy as well as Sarah Michelle yeah, Buffy can we also deal with the fact that Julie Benz and Chris McCarpenter both looked like they were basically in their 30s so it would have been a way different show if Buffy would have looked I mean I'm, I don't want to say old but they didn't look like a 16 year old girl even when Julie Benz is wearing that schoolgirl outfit um, as Dana <laughs> it's obviously in her mid 20s you know yeah it's quite funny I just love how Sarah Michelle Gellar plays Buffy and really the fact that she's not really had any other role of substance since I know she's been in bits and pieces and she's been in some movies and stuff like that but she's not really been in anything of any substance is really quite a disservice to her because you know she can play vulnerable she can play humor you know she can play the strength she can play warmth and humility you know, I'm um, going to be honest and say that that's partly probably because there's still really few roles like that Yeah. and uh, I mean I think we can see a bit of an uptick in that but uh, I still think that there are a few I mean that there's just lacking really significant female roles and I mean like, even Jennifer Lawrence has done some crappy movies. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I have to say that she's, she's actually starting to get, like, significant roles, but I also feel like it's hard also because Sarah now is in her 30s and there are a lot of fewer roles of significance for older women. Like, yeah. speaking of Jennifer Lawrence, I know that she did a movie where she plays, like, a single mom and she did a Silver Linings playbook and, you know, like, in the Yes, it was, but in the book, the woman in question is, like, in her 30s. Yeah. So, you know, obviously they aged her down in order to play, get Jennifer Lawrence to play her, but really it should have been somebody like maybe Sarah Michelle Gellar who was in that age range, you know? Yeah. When we're talking about snubs... What of, are we even talking about? <laughs> we're, just, we're just talking. We're just randomly talking about anything that pops into our heads. <laughs> we're just, that's just the way this thing works. We can say whatever we want and they'll I, listen. <laughs> They're talking about Sweet Valley and Safe by the Bell. This isn't what I signed up for. Um, <laughs> you don't know what that is. <laughs> we're too young. I just wanted to make, just go back. We mentioned Orphan Black earlier. Yeah. And Orphan Black is a fantastic show. And I know you watch Orphan Black. Yeah. And I've watched the first three, three seasons of Orphan Black. But the main actress on Orphan Black, um, Tatiana Maslany, is fantastic. She's incredible. But again, 
I think she was up for award after award after award. I think she was up for any awards, and she just didn't get them. And it's like, why? Why is she not getting all of the awards that exist in the whole world? She should be getting all of the awards. She's outstanding. And she, for those who don't know Orphan Black, Tatiana Maslany basically plays clones. Yeah, like ten different characters, and she nails them. Every I mean, they're not time. all equally good, but she's pretty amazing. She's, I don't, honestly, when I watch something like Orphan Black, I honestly don't know how she does that. Because yeah, because the thing is, sometimes I watch it and I forget that she plays all of them. Because they think of them as... Yeah, because they're individuals. Orphan Black, I definitely think, is one of those that has materialised in part because of the legacy of Buffy. I don't think we would have something like Orphan Black without Buffy to precede it, because... Definitely not. But anyone who's not seen Orphan Black, it is an outstanding show, and she is fantastic. So, yeah, I just wanted to shout out Orphan Black. Um, (laughs) It's not anything like Buffy, really as as shows go but you can see the the sort of roots of buffy within the show well also because you know like sarah is kind of the main protagonist and like buffy she is not flawless like from the get-go we find out like i mean buffy starts out pretty squeak clean but uh makes mistakes and stuff but like it just shows that it opened up the way for characters who are sympathetic but not perfect yeah you know but that's what makes that particular show great and that's what made Buffy great is that everyone has flaws everyone is vulnerable and everyone is funny and everyone is dangerous um, to a certain degree everyone has their own special set of skills as Liam Neeson might say which is why, I mean, the thing is, I kind of hate season seven. I don't think I've made any uh, secret about that. Uh, I think it's a pretty terrible season and pretty much an entire mistake. Like, it's a disappointing season, definitely. I mean, I can watch him and Chosen and the rest of them like, burn it, kill it in a fire, <laughs> and get rid of it. But I uh, do remember first time I watched it that I did actually really appreciate the Buffy's All About the Mission. Because it feels like she has, in a way, come full circle. But, you know, I mean, like, at the start of the show, she's like, I don't want to be a player. I want to be a normal person, la, la, la. And at the end of the show, that she would be like, this is my identity. This is my life. This is my mission. This is what I do. Uh, It made all kinds of sense to me. Yeah. And I remember really... I remember really appreciating that, in a way, I would say, because she's less of a hero, I felt like she was more of a weather worn, we can say. Because let's face it, she's faced like seven years of a shitstorm. That yeah. would affect you. You yeah. wouldn't be perky and 16 anymore. <laughs> exactly, because, you know, you're experiences in life do shape your personality and people do evolve and people do change over the course of seven years and I'm not the same person that I was seven years ago and I'm like, sure you're not the same person either. No, and I haven't even, you know, faced my true love through the heart or, uh, you know, had an affair with a soulless person. So, I mean... Oh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> that bad boy I was talking about? <laughs> I'm just like, it would make sense that she would be a lot coarser towards the end of the series. And I remember that, uh, even though I didn't necessarily love the season, I did love that about her character, that she had 
become a bit more take charge, maybe too much in a sense, but that it, it felt realistic to me that she would be more, uh, yeah, like she is. Anybody who's watched season seven knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I had one kind of further quote that I wanted to mention. Um, it's not one that's come from the boards. It's one that I actually found online, and it was basically an article talking about the 20th anniversary and it was written by a lady called Angelica Jade Bastian, who writes for Vulture. And she, the article is very long, but I just wanted to kind of talk about the final things in it, because I just thought it summarised it really nicely for me. So this is what she said. Every time I hear the theme song kick in, I remember with startling clarity how deeply the show spoke to the girl I once was, and still speaks to the woman I am today. Its larger cultural influence is inarguable. The show spawned a generation of leather-clad, crime-fighting virtuosos who delivered comebacks between roundhouse kicks. Yet Buffy was never merely a strong female character. She was too complex, too flawed, too human for that. There have been many well-crafted lead female characters in genre fiction to debut in the 20 years since the show's premiere, but none as expertly acted, beautifully led and memorable as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's a great quote. I thought so. I thought it summarised my feelings yeah. about it. That the show I know what you mean. You know, when, the, when the theme song kicks off, you, there, there is a little something in your heart that just goes like, I'm 14 again or whatever age, you know? Yeah. And to be honest, it doesn't... If the show is on TV and I happen to catch it and I happen to get to it as the theme song kicks in, it kind of doesn't matter which episode it is, even if it's an episode that I really dislike, even if it's like Go Fish, <laughs> I'll still get that same feeling of, oh my God, it's Buffy, and oh, I'm just going to sit down, and I will still watch it. It doesn't matter what the episode is. If I happen to catch it and it's on TV, I will sit and watch it, If obviously, if I'm not going to work or something like that, because <laughs> apparently you've got to go to work and earn money. Um, uh, I don't believe that. That's <laughs> fake to me. But there's, there's no show that I can think of that that makes me feel like Buffy makes me feel. Um, I can probably... And Sweet Valley High. Yeah. I can probably agree, although there are a few episodes that I would not for the life of me sit down and watch, even if it was on TV, uh, where I'm just like, nope. Um, so I'm not quite as crazy as you. Well, <laughs> this we already knew. <laughs> yeah, well, just so you guys know that, you know, I'm the voice of reason here. It's true. <laughs> Be I, afraid. Be very I, afraid. Yeah, I... I message her with crazy ideas and say, oh, let's do this and let's say this. And she'd be like, no, we can't talk about Saved by the Bell. <laughs> You'll have to talk about Zach and Kelly's epic romance some other time. <laughs> Did you know Screech murdered somebody or went to prison or something? Yes, and he also starred in a porn film, didn't he? What? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, who would want to watch that? Uh, I guess people. I can't say I've watched it personally, but yeah, so. sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, now we're way off uh, yes. into porn territory. So before we get into Buffy the Vampire later, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, is a thing, at least on Friends. No, that, no, that is, is a thing. But on Friends, it was Buffet, the vampire layer. Oh, yeah, right. Was Phoebe's twin sister, Ursula, who was pretending and to be Phoebe. Yeah. And I remember that uh, I used to get the mad, uh, I wouldn't say mad TV, but it's like the mad, uh, like, like a comic book, basically. Uh, and they also had, like, a parody of Buffy, uh, where she did a Nagel. Uh, <laughs> instead of Angel, um, they, they, like, changed all the names around. I, for some reason, I thought that you were saying, like, the name Nigel. <laughs> but well, you were saying yeah. it wrong. <laughs> yeah, and then she Nigel. Nigel from Frasier, and that was an interesting spin-off episode. <laughs> anyway, we should before we spin out of control, which we already have, um, we should maybe say goodbye, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there was, to be honest, there was a lot more that we wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> you know, for example, <laughs> I wanted to talk about the the fact that she has a Scooby gang. I wanted to talk about popularizing the long story arcs, which we did kind of mention. I wanted to talk about the TV tropes. You know what? That was not in your episode layout that you sent to me. Wasn't it? No. (laughs) It was not. So I had no idea you had all these things you wanted to talk about. If you had written that out, I'm just saying we could have got into the business. We could have. But the problem is is that we're, we're kind of, we're running out of time because we, we do, ish plan these episodes out and then what I do is I write lots of notes and I've just like wrote notes on stuff that's other than my own feelings and yeah we've kind of run out of time a little bit now yeah I wanted to talk about turning vampires into sexy bad boys oh <laughs> like, well. what I was going to say was that obviously the show is well known for the whole sexy bad boy vampires you know because Angel and then Spike and but I'm pretty certain that the Lost Boys came out before. Yeah, and Anne Rice definitely did, right? Well, exactly, but Anne I mean, Rice like, wasn't Spike really... is basically kind of the start. Yeah. It? Well, I always had massive crush on David from the Lost Boys. I never, ever, ever did. Really? I did not like him. How could you not like David? <laughs> I I loved the Lost Boys, but I didn't like any of the guys. And there, I don't know why. Oh, no, I had... I do, however, love uh, teasing my friend because she likes the Frog Brothers. Uh, And I hope to say she accidentally left that slip one night when we were watching movies in high school, and I will never, ever, ever let her forget that. And every time she's like, God damn it, (laughs) why did I ever mention that? (laughs) Why would you choose one of the Corys over Peter Sutherland? That makes no sense. How could could you like David in the Lost Boys? Why not? I mean, he's a villain. I know! (laughs) (laughs) Bad boys! (laughs) I can't even remember what the. Is it Michael? Yes. Yes, I, I think I like Michael a little bit, but not a lot because he was so whiny. Yeah, wasn't that. Jason Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I don't really remember liking any of the guys at all. Possibly, uh, I remember that there was one guy in David's gang who had, like, long black hair, who I thought was kind of hot. Uh, one of the other vampires, who was just probably... I'm not even sure he had a name, but one guy in their gang. But David was... Oh, God, I just wanted him to die. <laughs> David was a fox. No! He's a fox. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, yet again, we agree to disagree. <laughs> yes. As, as, as we must. Otherwise, as we know, the apocalypse would happen and the world would implode. Yes, indeed. But yeah, so uh, I, I don't necessarily think that Buffy popularized uh, sexy vampires necessarily. No, uh, but you could argue that maybe there would have been no Twilight had there not been Buffy. Definitely. And then there wouldn't have been any Fifty Shades of Grey, so maybe we would have been better off without Buffy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> We've literally just crumbled the whole kingdom now. That's it. Buffy is responsible. <laughs> Well, I suppose then we should say goodbye because yeah, I'm just shocked that you like David. <laughs> I'm shocked that you don't. I'm going to send you loads of pictures. I'm just going to spam oh, God, no. I'm going to spam you with pictures until you agree that you like him. <laughs> <laughs> the keeper hot settling is so horrible. Like, just, just, oh, I'm 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 just going to keep sending you links to the movie I associate him with, which is a movie where he rapes and kills a girl. Oh, and the most why? horrible person ever. Uh, and the mother eventually kills him because he tries to attack her too. And that's how I picture Keeper Solon. As a bluesy rapist alcoholic. <laughs> but Tarki, he's an actor. Actors act. It doesn't mean that... Wait, so he's not a vampire? Yeah, he's I'm, a I'm vampire. <laughs> I suppose we should say goodbye and agree to disagree on David, but I am going to spam you with some pictures. Yes, and angel rules, spider rules. Speaking of hunky vampires, I'm just saying. And there's no way I'm letting you have the last word. So, <laughs> okay, quickly, cavemen or astronauts? Astronauts. <laughs> oh, astronauts. Yay! I think, I think no, we agreed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry guys. Yeah. This is very rambly and weird. <laughs> yeah, we're really sorry. Please listen to us next month. We promise we will be more coherent and that we will not mention Sweet Valley High or Keeper Sutherland even once. This has just been uh, just a general kind of 90s loving. We've talked about the fashion. We've talked about the TV shows. We've talked about we, we, we love the 90s. The 90s is great. Yeah. I mean, I'm just surprised we didn't mention Clueless. <gasps> <laughs> so now I just obligatory 90s Clueless reference. I have not sporadically. Let's, <laughs> let's just end on it. <laughs> As if. And say, please listen to us again. <laughs> and happy 20th anniversary to this amazing show that still keeps generating thoughts, feelings, and conversations. Lots of conversations. And even academic conversations. Yes, lots, of, lots and lots and lots of academic conversations. 
I've been Athena. I have definitely been talking. And we shall say goodbye. Uh, uh, yeah. Whatever. Lord. <laughs> <laughs>